The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Dee, thank you very much, and welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Hot jobs, cool stocks, what today's employment report does to those rally hopes. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee, of course. Joining me on this Friday, Jason Snipe, Steve Weiss, and right here in the house, Jenny Harrington and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets, go to the wall. We're way off the lows today. Dow is down 355 on the back of that jobs report. It's only down 75 now. S&P's down near 20, was down 50. NASDAQ, 11,400. It was down 185, so it's cut 100 points off that loss. And yields, uh, you know, not a, not a huge move either. They're backing off a bit too. 356 is the yield on the 10-year note. So, you know, Jimmy, I, uh, I saw, you know, obviously after the jobs report, you're like, OK, that spoils the whole party, right? Because it gets everybody thinking, well, Fed's going to just be too aggressive now, right? But now the market's trying to fight its way back. Got seasonality on your side. Is it enough? Is maybe, it maybe, enough? Maybe it's a tone change, Scott. I mean, really, maybe it's a tone change. Because I thought, I thought the same thing that you just said. I thought, oh, man, this is like July, right? If this had happened in July, we'd open up down a 1.5%, and then we'd crescendo down during the day and end up down 3 4%. But that doesn't seem to be appearing what's happening. Why is that? Could be seasonality, but I think it's more than that, Scott. I think it's fundamentals. Um, I think this is the, the probability of a soft landing is increasing. There's two parts to the soft landing. One is the economy hangs in there and creating 260,000 jobs in the month of November is indicative of that. But the other part, which is far more important right now, is what's going on with inflation. Now, we're going to get that read next Friday. It's slowly coming closer on the November PPI. It's important because it's the first read of November and it will determine whether those benign October inflation numbers were a blip or a trend. I think there's good reason to think it's a trend that the PPI and then two weeks from now, the CPI will come in better than expected. Whole host of reasons. You see what's going on with Zillow rents, with freight costs, with gasoline futures. I won't go through the whole thing. But also, if you want to track this in real time, the Cleveland Fed on almost a daily basis updates their their inflation forecasts. It's been coming down. It's been coming down. So you uh, simply put, the probabilities of a soft landing are increasing, and that's the reason for the tone change, I think, Scott. All right, we're still above the 200-day moving average, by the way, on the S&P as well. 40.46 is what you want to watch. So we're at 40.63 as I see it here. So we've maybe, you know, turned into a technical uptrend, according to some. That would be huge because we've been in a downtrend for, I can't even remember, it's been so long at this point, right? So... Maybe a technical uptrend, but I think that there's a really strong lid on that, a really a really heavy cap. And I think that's because things aren't really that great. And this is where, where Jim and I agree on so much. This we don't agree on. I'm not feeling as enthusiastic. I'm not dismal. I'm not really bearish, but I'm not enthusiastic. And I look at it and I'm like, all right, we've got a lot of negative things on our, on our you know, 
on the on weighing over us. We've got manufacturing PMI that's under 50 in every country. Mm-hmm. We've got retail sales that were um, nominally okay, but in a real level, there was no growth. We've got wage growth that is increasing, but not at the same rate that it was. We have the S&P valuation bumping up against levels that like, I don't feel good about. About 18 times next year's earnings that we all think probably will come down is not super compelling. On the other side, there is positives, which is we're past the worst of inflation, as we talked about. We're past the worst of the Fed tightening. The tone is changing. So I just see this, and I think I think there's a cap on how high we can go. Maybe those positives are strong enough to outweigh some of the negatives, right? I mean, if, if inflation <clears throat> is continuing to come down, if the Fed is nearing the end, that's pretty dramatic For in terms sure. of what the positives are relative to what the negatives that you suggested are, because maybe the negatives aren't as negative if right. the positives are what they are. But then how high can we get? And this is what we keep coming back to, which is how much more we're, what, 15, 18 percent off the lows is almost, I don't maybe it's even 20 percent off the lows at this point. So how much more is there? And I think that as we position the portfolio for the last few weeks of this year and heading into next year, we need to be really realistic okay. that I don't think there's a plus 35 percent ahead. I don't think we go back to the 4,800 and blow, blow through it. I think you're in my version of positive is not yesteryear's version of, version of positive. It's just not that No, but bad. that's fine. I mean, again, when, when we suggest that there may be positives or you could have a, an end-of-year rally, let's just be clear, because I don't want to do this every time. Yeah. We're not talking about 4,800 right. and back to the highs. Let's just be clear on, on that. I mean, we're, we're wondering, okay, can we get to 4,100, Jason Snipe? Can we maybe even get a little bit beyond that? I'm not naive to all of the issues that exist but if seasonality of you know november kicking off the best three month and six month period of the year for the s p and december being the strongest month of the bullish period um that's got to get you somewhere plus if you think that you've seen the worst of it from the fed no doubt scott so i think you know we're still in this kind of good news bad news um narrative play obviously as we looked at you know, the, the labor numbers this morning, which were, which were hot numbers. But I, I, I take the other side of this. You know, I, we could focus on, you know, labor participation rate decelerating. We could focus on, you know, the, the wage inflation is still above 5%. But if I, if I look at just job fundamentally, and this is kind of what Jim was alluding to, if you're looking at jobs being positive and you're, and you're thinking about a recession next year, maybe it is. Maybe we avoid a recession. Maybe it's much shallower than we've all been talking about or feared uh, going into next year. And, and if we're looking at seasonality as a, as a role, that playing a role going into the end of the year, I think that's positive. And then, obviously, the narrative on, on peak inflation, right? And we'll, we'll see, as Jim also alluded to, PPI at the end of next week. CPI the early the following week. Let's see if there is a trend here and, and how that plays out for the markets. And obviously, if there is, it will be positive. And we heard mm-hmm. from Powell earlier in the week talking about, you know, it starting to modify monetary policy and maybe not looking at another 70. We're not on autopilot, you know, and looking at these 75 basis points prints. So I think those those are those are aspects that could continue to uh, give give this some give this market some lift. We talk twice about you know, the reality of where we are and what might lie ahead, despite the strength that Jim points to now, right? Michael Hartnett of Bank of America with his flow show note, uh, man, he's pretty dour on on the outlook. Uh, The buy signal for risk assets is close to an end, uh, he says. The rate shock for Wall Street is close to finished. Okay, that's good. However, He says the rate shock plus recession shock for Main Street is just beginning. 
that the big losses of 22 are followed by small gains in 23. Bonds are better than stocks in the first half of 23 and maybe commodities, too. This is a very much, you know, sort of like what you've been saying, too. Uh, the worst may be yet to come. That don't confuse consumer strength now or economic strength now for what may be coming in a matter of months because of the filter through or the follow through of what the Fed has already done, regardless of whether they're nearing the end or not. I think that's exactly right. Look, you've got you've got a bifurcated market here. You have people hearing what they want to believe, not what's being said. And you've got people that are more realistic in saying when in the history of the world has a Fed tightening like we've seen, which we've never seen, lead to the beginning of an economic expansion and strength in the economy. It, it's it's not just, you know, it, it, it's not just insane. It's stupidly insane. So the Fed is going to keep going. So what if you go from 8% inflation to 6%? Guess what? You still triple where it should be. Today's numbers, yeah, like you, I went through the same, same machinations. Wow, this is going to, maybe there's not going to be a year-end rally. This was an incredibly strong number when the Fed has been focusing on employment as the number one indicator for inflation coming down. And here it is, we've got inflation in wages. So what I heard Powell say earlier this week was the same thing he's been saying. And what the market took it as is that the Fed's at the end of the tightening. Well, that's not true. So it's not a question of the end of the tightening, you know, saying we're all clear to buy equities. Then it's what's the after effect. As you point out in those comments, it's what's the impact of it. So until the market gets used to, and I don't mean to pick on Jim, despite him being an easy target, but despite, look at his sales force comment Despite yesterday. my calling his views stupid. Despite being an easy target. Despite well, calling I wasn't his referring that to Jim, but say, <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I, I didn't call him stupid. I didn't do that directly, insane, but, thank but you, you called his view stupidly insane. <laughs> Can I well, come back? Thank at you some for point bridging here? that for me. I didn't make the connection, but hold on, let me finish, Jim. When you take a look at at Salesforce.com, I went through the historical numbers today, and you reference where it was selling a year ago. What you don't reference is that you had zero money, so. Growth stocks get higher multiples, number one. Give it a haircut for that. Number two, it was growing faster. Now it's not growing so fast. Give it a haircut for that. As in fact, their earnings last year were 450. In 22, their January year, they were a buck 50. Give it a haircut for that. Then, when you take a shot at the labor force, and the one who takes the biggest shot is the Fed, and say, we want to cut back on employment, mm -hmm. take a haircut for that. So in what world should you even use last year's valuation as a, as a benchmark for today's valuation? Okay. The floor is yours, Jim. Farmer Jim. Whew. That's, he's, ang he's angrier than I've seen him. I mean, I'm not pretty angry. angry this but is I, tough love, Jim. This no, is no, tough no, no, love. No, 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 no. Listen, tough listen, love. listen. You laid it out there. Let me respond. I know why you're angry, Steve because you've been saying this for eight months and the market's rallying and you're a fish swimming against the river current, my friend. It's you who needs to change your tune. You need to, you need to recognize the facts on the ground. Now, I listened to you yesterday, I think it was yesterday, and we were, you were talking about supply chain onshoring and how inflationary that was. A second ago, you called me. Going uh, to be. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. You said that people like me are looking at one half of the equation. We're seeing what we wanna see, my friend. 
That is exactly what you did yesterday when you said that CapEx is inflationary. You missed the point that it's growth oriented, that it's expansionary for the economy. Okay, so don't be labeling anybody else as seeing only one side of the coin. Here's the basic facts. Okay, we've got a strong labor market. Another fact, inflation is coming down by the published numbers. If you want to talk about 7% right now, go right ahead. That's not what it's likely to be three months from now. You need to get with the flow of the river, my friend. It's right in front of you. Wow. Well, well, Jim, take your swimmies off. Take your swimmies off, okay, because I am with it. (laughs) I'm long playing for the rally. The reality is going to hit next year. So... I don't know how you can think it's not inflationary when you're going to need more labor for more construction in the U.S. I did not say it's, it's not going inflationary. To and the Fed's going to... What I said is well, it's I, expansionary I be, for the economy. Yeah. And for you who are saying recession, it's got to be here. And you've been saying it for eight months. Okay? Hasn't happened. We've got 2.8% growth projected from the Atlanta Fed this quarter. Last quarter was 2.9%. We've got jobs being created. For eight months, you've been saying recession. It isn't happening. Maybe it will happen. In fact, you know what? It, it will is going at some down. point My timeline for re- It will at some point My happen. But after recession. eight months of calling for it, you've got to raise your hand and say, you Josh, know what, I Josh, was wrong. I mean, Jim, you know what? Here's the story, okay? I was never calling for recession this year. I am still in calling for one next year, and it will happen, and the Fed's going to lead us into it. That's, that's inescapable in my mind. The base case right now is for a, for a slight recession, okay? So maybe that's what happens, but we're going into recession, and you're going to feel it. And by the way, the market's still down quite a bit since I made my call, and I'm sticking with the call, and I've called it correctly, and the market will be lower. You'll get a chance at 3200 in the first or second quarter next year. So save some capital. Okay, so let's make that the last word of that discussion, which I appreciated. Um, and, you know, I think you guys did it mostly the right way. good. You were um, smiling you, the whole time. I well, I it. thought it was entertaining. Um, Jason Snipe, these guys mentioned uh, Salesforce, which, you know, you sold, yeah. right? Um, Obviously, it was disappointing on the back of the earnings, the guidance, and the, the fact that Brett Taylor as the co-CEO is leaving. Uh, can you take us through why you decided to actually get rid of the stock? Yeah, Scott. So CRM has been a long-term hold for us. And I think, you know, for me, it's obviously always traded at a premium. I wasn't to- overly focused on Brett Taylor uh, moving on. I, I know that that was weighing on the stock. But for us, you know, looking at the RPOs and the deceleration there, also turning the page to 2023 and looking at, um, you know, what, what spend is going to look like in software. And I, it, again, you know, the sales for the, the quarter wasn't bad. I mean, they beat on the top, stronger beat on the bottom line. You know, cloud growth was up 12 percent. But for us, I think there's there's capital served in better places here. And I think, you know, the invoicing part of the business and, and seeing the deceleration there was why we decide to unload at this stage. Okay. You know, it, it raises sort of issues, or, or at least the question, I think, of, of what kind of tech stocks can we own right now? This is a question I asked Brad Gerstner, the Altimeter Capital founder and CEO yesterday in overtime. I want you to listen to his answer, and then we can have some stock picks on the other side of that that maybe match his, uh, the Gerstner guidelines, if you will. Listen. You, you know, you can either fight the last battle, which will be pretty painful, right, or orient and position your portfolio for 2023. I think the things that you want to own, to the extent you're going to be investing in technology, need to be those beaten up names with real free cash flow support. 
Um, there are big cap names trading at historical lows. So that's Brad Gerstner yesterday from Altimeter and Overtime. Um, I want to go to you first, Jenny, because I'd like to actually go the playbook here. Sure. Um, you like Meta, which he does too, by the way. He's a, he's a shareholder, as I think most of you all know mm -hmm. at this point. There are big cap names trading at historical lows. This falls into that, this falls into that category. It does. And the, and. Interestingly, when was it? Maybe like four months ago or so when Brad was on, I thought he made a really compelling bear case, which is everybody's so focused and thinking that Mark's walking around with VR goggles and living in an alternate reality. And, and I'm looking at it saying, hold on, there's enormous free cash flow generation here. And it was interesting this week, you see, and I don't know if it was prompted by Brad's letter or not, but you see Mark saying like, hey guys, actually I'm spending a lot of my time on the core business, so I'm glad that that message is getting out. But all of that noise aside, the bottom line is the company's trading at 15.2 times earnings and has a 3.7% cash, free cash flow yield and is down 64% year to date. So just from a pure investment perspective, the numbers are compelling. The math is compelling on that. And if you believe that it's a survivor and that earnings con revenues continue to grow mid to high single digits, earnings translate some of that, it's hard, it's hard not to like it as an investment, even if there's noise out there. I mean, look, he was pretty clear, and he's in the thick of it mm -hmm. and owned it, too, in terms of, you know, being too long and wrong. Yep, um, and us, and, too. And he pointed out of this tremendous sort of sea change, Jim, that that's going on in, in technology, the kinds of stocks that you can own and the ones that you simply can't. The willingness of the market to accept stocks that, that, that have no earnings, that have no positive free cash flow, uh, is over, is over. Your pick with the Gerstner guideline is what? Cisco Systems. And I know it's boring. I know it's boring. It's not like, you know, one of these stocks that a year ago we were measuring on price to sales, some some software stock that's going to, you know, shoot through the roof and then come all the way back this year. It generates cash. It buys back shares. It gives you a good dividend. It's got a good business. But more than anything, it's got low volatility. It's like and I, this is going to be a little bit of a sorry, a tedious analogy. I used to have two English Mastiffs. They were great dogs. They were 180 pound dogs that didn't jump all over you. They didn't bark. They just sat by your sides and they protected you. That's what Cisco does in my portfolio. You, you know, it's funny. That's on my list, too. I didn't know how many English we were going to get to choose. No, Cisco. <laughs> Cisco. <laughs> um, and, you know, J Jason Snipe, you have another one that Gerstner himself owns, too, uh, Altimeter, and that's Microsoft. Right, right. Yeah, so for me, as it relates to Microsoft, I mean, it's 26% off, it's 52-week highs, down 24% you know, this year, like a lot of the mega cap tax stocks, you know, but for me, I, I think as they continue to focus on commercial uh, cloud, you know, Azure business, again, you know, these numbers aren't going to be what they were through the pandemic, growing at 50, 40 percent year over year. Uh, but there still are double digit earners and their free cash flow is growing. You know, they have 63 billion dollars of free cash flow. It's I mean, the yield is, you know, 3.63 percent. You know, it's not not above five like I'd like to see. But I, I like Microsoft here. I think there's I think there continues to be value and it will, and it will serve you well going forward. Weiss, what's your pick? You know, I like Microsoft as well, but also Apple. But I'm not buying either here because I'm going to get a better opportunity. Definitely in Microsoft. As I mentioned yesterday, Apple's got this protection, which is that, you know, you've got the major telco companies that are buying the phones for customers, even though we've seen a slowing in the app store. But I think there's a real danger. 
So uh, thinking that the companies that exist today are the same companies that existed a year ago, and I'll talk about Meta directly. Meta, they've told you, we're a different company than Facebook. They changed their name. What more proof do you need? They're spending money, short free cash flow generation, coming in one pocket, going out the other. So Meta is not one I would buy because they're changing what got them here because that business is atrophying because of Apple and the App Store. So you got to be careful. You got to be careful about Google also with the, with the court case that's out there and with, again, ad, with ad advertising. But I like Microsoft, despite the fact that we're going to see the labor force come down a little bit. They're geared to that somewhat, I like for the reasons that Jason said. And, and I like Apple because they have earnings. If I thought of Cisco, candidly, I probably would have picked that because it's cheap. It's got a nice yield, et cetera. Friend, because Jim likes it. Wow. wow. You wow. Said, you must, I was like, oh, he, what, what? He just wants to be like you. He just wants to be like Jim. Like, take, take his I, 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 I could tell okay? the shock by the silence. What? <laughs> there, there was definitely shock there. Hey, you, you, no, know, you know what? Nobody look, has any words look, Jim's right been, now for this. Jim's, <laughs> Jim's been so wrong. I mean, he's got one right. You know, it is time. It was a your, time issue. To your point of liking some of these stocks, though, Weiss, and, and not, you know, willing to buy them here because you think you may get it a, a little bit cheaper. I mean, I think Gerstner would be the first one to say, and he has, that, you know, if you're looking for the next, I don't know, three to six months, yes, it could be treacherous. And that's a word that he's used. But if you look at the decline in the stock, the generation of free cash flow that the companies that you mentioned still have, that if you're a longer term investor, I mean, what, are you going to try and get down to the last dollar of the bottom? I mean, how, how do you necessarily know where exactly that's going to be anyway? The stocks have come down a lot. They still have earnings power. They still generate a lot of free cash flow. Yeah, you're, you're right. And I'm not trying to pick the bottom, but I'm not just looking at stocks in a vacuum. I'm looking at what my overall economic view is, so my macro view, and what my overall market view is. And having the freedom of choice, not having to be as invested, and even though they have some freedom of choice on the desk there that they can go to 10% cash or 20% cash, I can go to net short. So with my, with my frame of reference, why would I step in? Look at the major move that Microsoft has had. And if you think that this is a bear market rally, you believe that it's going to come down. We're not talking about insignificant moves. We're talking about a 20% move. So if it goes down 20%, that's real performance. On so the average market return of, say, long, long term, 7 8%, that's three years of performance. So I'm not looking to pick the absolute bottom tick. But given where I think it's going, where you make money is where you get in. And then, secondly, where you get out. I think I can get in at a much lower level. And if I miss it because I'm wrong in the economy, then I'm happy to buy it where it is. But I hate losing money. And the first thing for me is protect my capital, not try to make money. Okay. Okay. Jenny, real quick. Just we bridging, bridging the Jim and Steve debate earlier, right? It doesn't matter. And, and Scott, to your point, you don't need to pick the bottom tick. Many of these stocks that we've talked about maybe have already bottomed. And so if you sit there waiting for that bottom tick, you're likely to miss out. So whether you buy Cisco or Meta or Verizon, which is another one on my list, like buy these things now because to your guys' points, they're going to make money for the long run. And you don't need to, you don't need to wait for the market bottom to say, hey, this stock's at bottom. Not everything's moving in the same like synchronously. Is that the right word? <laughs> All right. Uh, still ahead. We have a notable downgrade today, raising uh, questions about what's ahead for a key area of the market. We're going to discuss that next in our call of the day. 
Plus, five-star fund manager Kevin Simpson joins us. He's beating the market this year and over the last three and five years. That's right. He's up on the year. We'll find out his strategy coming up. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's do our call of the day now. It's Barclays downgrading Blackstone to equal weight. That is after the company limits withdrawals from its real estate fund. Shares recovering a little bit, still down 5%. We, we did this call, Jimmy, to highlight REITs, okay? Third worst performing sector this year, down 25% year to date. Yes, it's a tiny part of the S&P 500. Nonetheless, an important one. Uh, and we've got some good exposure here on the desk. So was this a bell going off that it's time to stay away from REITs? Um, it could be, but I think there's an important technical factor here, Scott, which is that the size of this fund was enormous. I mean, it, it almost defies description. And it became a case of how are you going to find the liquidity to come out of this when just a, you know, a small percentage of a very large number decides to exit. Um, I hate hearing this news. This is not what any investor wants to hear. Um, I have to point out that one of the things I very much like about the public equity market, and I'm not being sanctimonious, this is one of the things I really like, is I can get in and out on a moment's notice. Nobody's going to gate me. I don't have to wait a month. I don't have to put in an application. I just hit sell. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, sell. Is it on time to get screen. out of REITs? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And let's make this really simple. Interest rates appear to have peaked. Um, the time to get out of REITs, I would say, is when interest rates are going up. Now, maybe some people disagree with that, but I do think interest rates have peaked. So you have Camden Property Trust, which is an apartment REIT. Based in the Sun Belt, really. So where people are coming to as they're coming from the higher tax coastal states. Uh, very good business. Uh, they, they've been growing their business very nicely. And again, it really comes down to the Sun Belt states. It's, it's a great business model. Jenny, you have a ton of REITs. Iron Mountain, National Retail Properties, Postal Realty Trust, Sabra Healthcare REIT, SL Green. Right. So what do you I think, think here? I think this is a really interesting conversation, and I'm grateful that we get to have it. One thing, we need to think about why REITs are down so much this year. And historically, the conventional wisdom, and I might be misusing that term, but the conventional wisdom has been when interest rates are going up, the bond equivalents will do poorly because they are no longer competitive. So the interest rate equivalents historically have been REITs, MLPs, utilities. 
Okay, so let's say that some part of the REITs um, share price decline this year is people saying, well, I can get five years, 5% on a two-year bond now, why would I buy an equity? I think a significant portion of these stocks being down is actually from that because their businesses, the underlying businesses are in excellent shape in many cases. So that's one thing. What You, you don't, you don't is, think it's worries about the commercial real estate market, worried about the economy? Well, let me get into that in just one sec. Well, you got to be quick because I okay, got to go. I'll be as quick as I can. But here's the thing. So once you get away from the conventional wisdom, um, what you see is these are real businesses and in an economy that's strong, which we're still in, to Jim's point, we're still in a strong economy. They produce real earnings and they're able to increase their rents. And that is still happening for many of these companies. If I look at my portfolio, most of them still have really decent earnings growth ahead. So then you need to look at REITs overall, commercial real estate, and you need to say there is an enormous difference. There is an enormous difference between Crown Castle, which is towers, and Sunbelt Apartments. There is an enormous difference between Lamar Advertising, which I own, which is billboards, and storage. Right? There's an enormous difference between industrials and skilled nursing. I know, but you got SL Green. I mean, that's right in the oh, heart of the commercial sure. real estate market. For sure. And so here's what's in my portfolio. Government Easterly, which is government properties. Iron Mountain, which is, which is document storage. Lamar, which is billboards. National Retail Properties, which is standalone box stores. Um, Postal, which is post offices, Sabra. And so you look at these collectively, and actually many of these are up on the air a little bit. And all of them are trading at super reasonable valuations. They're all pumping out between 5 and 8% dividend income. So I don't think that, here's my point on this. I don't think that you're doing yourself a service to make the broad-based statement, commercial real estate is bad. That's going to cut off your nose to spite, to spite your face. What you should do is pick through and say, hey, there is opportunity potentially in the towers right now, and here's why. There's potentially opportunity in Lamar. Where would I want to stay away from? Maybe I want to stay away from, uh, let's see, like shop, um, strip centers, strip mall centers. I don't want to go there. I'm comfortable with Lamar. Sorry, I'm comfortable with SL Green, but I'm not comfortable with Vornado. So you need to pick through and not use the broad brush on this. There is enormous opportunity. And I think that because they're down so much, this is a place where you can actually make a lot of money going into 2023. My goal was to give Jim a hard sell and get him to be a buyer of this idea. I'm glad so. you went in. I mean, I'm, that was great detail. I'm glad you Thank went you. into all that. It was good. Sorry, it took uh, so long. It's, that's perfectly fine. Uh, act, it was worth it. Uh, let's take a look at Boeing, too. We're going to take a quick break, but want to show you shares. They are moving higher uh, at this very moment. On reports, United Airlines is close to buying 787 Dreamliners. Uh, so we'll follow that story. Nice little pop there of some three and a quarter percent for shares of BA. Coming up, five-star stock picker who is beating the market this year and over the past three and five years. He'll tell us how he is doing it. He's got some new picks as well for you. Do it next. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's your CNBC News update. InfoWars host Alex Jones has filed for bankruptcy in Texas today. He faces more than a billion dollars in court judgments. Jones recently lost civil cases and was ordered to pay $1.5 billion in damages to the parents of Sandy Hook Elementary shooting victims. The talk show host had called that shooting a hoax. The United Nations human rights chief is publicly criticizing Myanmar's new death sentences. Volker Turk says Myanmar's military-installed government has sentenced more critics to death, bringing the total to 139. 
Wednesday, behind closed doors, at least seven university students were sentenced to death, and reportedly as many as four more youth activists were handed the same verdict. Uh, Turk says the government is using capital punishment to crush opposition. President Biden has signed the bill that prevents a nationwide rail strike. The Senate voting to pass that bill yesterday after the House approved it earlier this week. It imposes a tentative contract on rail workers, even though some of the unions involved had rejected that agreement. Scott? Tessa, we'll see you in just a bit. That's Contessa okay. Brewer. All right, beating the market has not been easy this year. All of you know that. Our next guest, he's managed to do just that. For a look at how, let's welcome in five-star fund manager Kevin Simpson. He's the founder of Capital Wealth Planning. It's CIO as well. And, uh, man, it's good to have you in the house. Welcome to the, to the hood. Thanks for having me. How have you done it? How have you beaten the market? I mean, you're up, too. It's not just you beating the market. You're up 1% on the year. Yeah, well, the day's not over yet, Scott, but so far, so <laughs> All right, well, let's just figure <laughs> that you've had a darn good year in the face of a lot, a lot of pain. How? Well, typically, we're going to be looking for companies that generate free cash flow and distribute it to shareholders. And that's a recipe that can be successful in any market, whether we're up, down, or sideways. Looking for companies with lower multiples is also very important in these markets because a lot of times when you see stocks pulling down or markets in general coming down, it's not that the companies are earning less, it's that there's multiple compression across the board. That has a lot to do with interest rates. So we've been de-risking along the way, really looking for lots and lots of dividends. We hear it all the time now. Dividend growth is super important, free mm-hmm. cash flow. And we've been writing some covered calls in the volatility, and that's helped a little bit. That, that's the basis of your strategy, though, as you manage the, the DIVO. Yes, right, sir. the DIVO, um, is looking for dividend payers and then writing covered calls against some of the individual stocks that you have. That's been a central part of why you've been able to beat the market this year and I would suggest over the last three to five as well. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, when you own companies that do really well and have EBITDA, the, the stocks tend to go higher. So our methodology works really well and markets that have range bound, a little bit down, some volatility. It's actually harder for us over the past decade because in so many instances, there's been an absence of volatility, really, really strong markets. I mean, for three years, 19, 20, and 21, you had a free money trade. You could have tripped over a ticker symbol and it would have went up. So for us, I think the future is a little bit brighter than the past. What about where we are right now and where you think we might be going? We've had such a strong move off the, the mid-October low. How, how, is, how are you playing it now? But well, we're getting a little bit more defensive. We're actually putting a little cash into the portfolio. I know in the year ends, you can always get momentum rallies, repositioning, chasing. So we're using this as an opportunity to de-risk, reposition. I, I think that next year we'll have some volatility and good re-entry points. By no means are we trying to time the market, but I would sell the rally. Oh, so you're selling the rally. You sold Cisco, um, which is interesting because we just you know, had a discussion about it, which I've, I think you probably heard. Uh, Let's have a conversation about that. Why did you sell it? Well, we had it called away. So I agree with Jim's thesis on Cisco. We love the stock. We've been shareholders off and on for the past decade. Low multiples, good dividend. But we wanted to de-risk the portfolio a little bit. Technology sometimes has a little bit more of a higher risk profile. So that gave us a 5% cash position. So as we sit here today, we've got about 12% cash. And, and, and that'll be higher tomorrow. And that's probably pretty high 
historically for somebody like you. <clears throat> yeah, 5% is our sweet spot, Scott. Anything over 10%, we start to think that maybe we're getting too clever, trying to be a market timer, which we're not. We're going to have UPS called away today. It's going to take our cash position to 17% tomorrow. Wow. So, so that's what happens with options. Sometimes you get a little bit more cash than, than you're necessarily intending. But the good news is you're often selling into strength. Mm -hmm. so, so I look at that as a comfortable place to be as we turn the calendar year into 2023. When does it become an uncomfortable place to be with that much cash? <clears throat> what has to happen? Well, I think the markets are going to pull back a little bit. Volatility will probably move up and we'll have a... I don't want to call lows. I don't want to say 3,000 or 3,200 has to happen because there's, there's plenty of good news out there. But I think 3,500 would be a good reentry point. Okay. What about you, dividend oh, it's so investor? It's so interesting. Yeah. Someone who's had a good year too, yeah. right? The strategy's paid off for you. I was feeling like hot stuff until I heard Kevin's numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting thing because we both manage these income-producing portfolios, and we have similar yields. My objective is to have a 5.5% or better. Right now I'm at about 55 You're at about just shy of 5%. And we go about it in, in different ways. I look for individual stocks that produce really high dividends. So whereas you're looking for stocks with dividend growth, and then you do the covered call strategy on top of it. So it's kind of neat to see both of these work in a year like this. And to your point, this is a great year where you just keep your head down and kind of chug along and collect, collect the cash flow. Whereas the years past where it's just been growth and rah, 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 have been really, really tough for us. Um, but I loved, you know, I loved meeting you and getting to hear how we go about it in different ways. And, yeah, your numbers are amazing, so congratulations. You have Thank shopping you. lists, too, um, that I'd love to give people some ideas of what, what's on your mind. Deer, Nucor, and SLB, Schlumberger. <clears throat> yeah, they're all names that we own, Scott. Again, the theme there is low multiples, high, high free cash flow, incredible dividends, and, and more importantly, that dividend growth story. Because if we need to hedge against inflation, that's what everyone's concerned about. Give me a stock that is presenting a raise every year. Increasing that dividend is a true hedge against inflation. Jenny's high dividend strategy is a perfect complement with our dividend growth. And mm -hmm. to your point, it's nice to see value get a little bit of respect for, for a change. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, thank you for being here. It's great having you. And congrats on the year you've had. Uh, it just has not been easy. Uh, I don't think anybody uh, would, would, would suggest otherwise. So we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Kevin Simpson joining us here on set. Straight ahead, our chart of the day. It's a mystery stock. It's on pace for its best week in a month. Stay with us. We'll give you the reveal and the trade. It's a new segment. It's coming up next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. Welcome back to Halftime. Shares of Wynn Resorts are up 13% over the past week. On pace now for the best week in a month. We've made it. Our chart of the day. It's a new segment. Jim owns it. Contessa Brewer follows it. That's why she's here sitting on set with us. Nice run. I mean, it's an incredible, but there's some good news behind it. Just yesterday, Wynn closed its sale of the land underneath uh, Encore Boston Harbor, $1.7 billion. So now they have a pile of cash to deploy with CapEx spending in other places. Two, the Strip is on fire. The Las Vegas Strip is now operating 
20% ahead by the end of October, 20% ahead of all of 2021. It's way ahead of 2019 levels. Visitation, occupancy, and certainly gaming revenue is all remarkable and continues to excel in spite of the concerns over whether consumers are going to keep spending. They had six provisional licenses awarded in Macau. This takes out the overhang and the concern that maybe Genting, which was a last-minute bidder for the concession, could come in and take it. That just relieves some pressure. And then this speculation slash maybe glimmers of good news about whether China is going to change its COVID restrictions, allowing a resurgence. It's not all good news. There is some um, questions about Macau's performance, whether the high rollers will come back because China's cracking down on money laundering. Um, So there are still some headwinds here for this company. See, I mean, I was thinking that the gain on the week had to be in tune with the China ADRs that we've seen go off to the races this week. Melco up 35% this week. It's remarkable the kind of run that it has, you know, traded here based in Hong Kong. But then that also tells me that there's a lot of risk in that if you think that the stock ran and those other stocks ran on what may end up to be false hopes, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the question is not if China loosens its COVID policy, it's when it happens. And what these companies are saying is that they, they just simply do not have any clarity about it. But for instance, when CEO Craig Billings is in Macau right now, it's his first time visiting as CEO, and he's willing to go through the quarantine because he thinks the people on the ground have been working through all of this. It's worth his time and effort to get FaceTime with the government regulators in Macau and, and hope, fingers crossed, that they can see some sort of Las Vegas-style rebound. Oh, that's interesting insight and reporting from you on that. Uh, you own the stock. I'm very happy with it. Um, I'm not going to repeat everything that you just said, Contessa. That was a long list. The one thing I'll repeat is you can go to Las Vegas uh, Visitors and Convention Authority and you can look up monthly statistics. The last month they have is October. It's accelerating, okay, whether it's visitors, whether it's room ADR. The business in Las Vegas is accelerating. Now, in all seriousness, Steve Weiss could be right, okay? He could be right that we've got a recession coming and maybe this is a blow-off top and it all comes down. But one thing you didn't mention, Mr. Billings, the CEO, on on the last two earnings report has been very consistent and strong in saying that they are prepared for a recession, but they see absolutely no sign of it. They have advanced bookings. They have insight into what the next three months at least is going to show. And it shows everything is pretty good. Last thing, uh, Tillman Fertitta, you didn't have time to mention that. We've got a private investor, a billionaire who, you know, has a history of buying companies and he just took a big stake last month. Uh, Jason, hang on real quick, because J- Jason Snipe, you, you own MGM, right? You're the, I think you're the only one on the program today other than Jim yep. who has exposure here. You got it. So M- MGM is our pick here. I mean, they, they have very little uh, exposure to Macau. And through the pandemic, that was, that was our role, as, as volatile as Macau has been. They have only have 12% exposure there. But they're down 17% year to date. They're up 13% in the last three months. Not the same run as, as Wynn has seen. But my bet here is on, on their gaming their gaming piece. Bet MGM, I think, has a lot of upside here, and that's why we like the stock. All right, good stuff. Contessa, thank you. Sure. All right, that's Contessa Brewer. Up next, Mike Santoli's with us for his midday word. Plus, coming up at 3 Eastern, do not miss the final day of CNBC Pro Week. For details, go to CNBC.com slash Pro Talks. Halftime is back after this.
Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli is right there for his midday word from the stock exchange. Back above the 200-day moving average today. I mean, it's a pretty impressive move off the low today. It is. Um, now, still f- kind of flickering above and below that uh, 200-day average. you got to, uh, I think, use a little bit of a wide band in determining how those things go. But, yes, I think that uh, essentially the market's collectively saying a, a better-than-expected job support in most respects. Not really a game-changer. The-, the bond market didn't really see reason to radically reprice what the Fed said. So what's interesting is we're facing a bit of a macro news lull uh, next week. Not a lot of the top-tier big swing factor type releases out there. you got PPI, ISM services, uh, and also, of course, no Fed speak. So it seems like we're, we kind of have what we're going to have for a while in terms of figuring out the macro, uh, not the biggest earnings week. So maybe it's all about seasonals positioning, what this yield move means to the downside uh, as well, uh, whether it's, it's all about just demand for yield, people feeling like we're past peak Fed and peak inflation, uh, or something else in terms of a, of a brewing slowdown. Jim Labenthal, who's sitting at the desk today, you know, suggested that it maybe brings a soft landing a little closer to fruition. Um, you buy that? I think the story of this week, maybe the last few weeks, has been, you know, the, the weight of the evidence at least moving a little more in that direction, that there's at least a prospect of a soft landing for the aggregates, right? Nominal GDP growth right now is running above 5%, certainly. Um, that's with inflation and, uh, and with, uh, with, with growth itself, real growth. That's, that's a kind of a cushion for the overall economy. The level of activity is what's different about this uh, tightening cycle, the starting mm-hmm. point. So I think it's in there. We, we'll see if it plays out. It's like hot jobs. It's like bad for tightening fears, good for soft landing. Maybe the market is right. focused on the latter uh, in its ability to come off the lows. So we'll see. We have a few hours to go, in which I'll see you uh, in overtime for your uh, last word. Yep, sure thing. All right, final trades are next. Big overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern with that man right there, Jeremy Siegel. On today's jobs report, what it means for a possible rally in December. He's been fired up lately about the Fed and inflation. Get his view today. I can't wait to talk to him. Stephanie Link, Greg Branch with us as well. Eric Johnston from Kenner Fitzgerald, too. He's made a bunch of tactical calls on the market. He's going to make one today, too. Uh, So I hope you'll tune in a few hours' time. Jenny Harrington. Okay. Final trade. I'm going mer- to merge Brad Gerstner's free cash flow and beaten up with my REIT cheerleading routine and give you easterly government properties. It trades at 12 times FFO with a very well-covered 7% dividend yield. Thank you very much. Hello. Farmer Jim. Uh, Boeing, we talked about the United order. Hanging out there is an Air India order. There's the potential extension of the 737-7 deadline uh, for certification, China certification. There's a lot yet to come on Boeing. All right. Uh, Steve Weiss, what you got? Yes, sir. I'm going to smile so I don't get accused of being angry. TBF. Look, you're only so angry for the first short. 59 minutes and 40 seconds, so I appreciate that. Please, go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's progress for me, isn't it, Scott? I mean, that's, come on, that's major <laughs> no, no. progress. Give me, a name. Give me a name. TBF, which is short. The l- TBF, short, longer end of the curve. All right, Jason Snipe. Honeywell, stay long. All right, good stuff. Good weekend, everybody. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.